Aquarian Schultz, presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. Want your voice to be heard? Dial us up now at 239-1260. This is Aquarian Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. Hi, how are you? My name is Jake Query. Derek Schultz is the other voice you hear in this program. It is the incredibly creatively and appropriately named now charitably award-winning Quarian Schultz show on Fox Sports 97.5. On a Thursday, 5 o'clock, hope you are getting set for a good drive home. And then I almost felt like saying a three-day weekend, but I guess we just came off of that. I don't know why I'm thinking that. Maybe it's because I'm gone tomorrow, right? You enjoy it when I'm gone, Derek? I think you do, right? Uh, I honestly prefer having a two-man show, but I like the fact that um, my star shines a little bit brighter because it's not smushed by anybody, <laughs> so that helps. Uh huh. But no, I honestly I would rather do it a is two-person a totally different show because um, sometimes I just for whatever reason I know that we've got hundreds of thousands of listeners, but for whatever reason sometimes when I'm solo and I'm sure you feel this way too, I just get self-conscious about it, like. Am, am I talking to myself? Yeah, I don't want to. I, I want to answer my own questions. Like you know, there are all these things. Like I, I suddenly become much more cognizant of like verbal crutches and all of that. And I would agree. With I kind of psych myself out. It definitely feels more like you're just treading water. You know what I mean? You're a little like, bit. Yeah. I, and I don't want to do that. I want to bring you the same informative, entertaining show that we bring you every day, where we talk about sports and local issues and things like that. <laughs> okay. Let's go to the Jack's Donuts tweet sack real quick it's before we get to the inbox, NBA finals. Actually. Tweet bag. Mm-hmm. Tiger tails, caramel nut rolls, applesauce donuts, all of these have been keeping people coming back to Jack's Donuts for generations. Fabulous. S- several indie area locations of Jack's Donuts is certainly close by to you. Stop in, grab a cup of coffee, and your favorite donut today. For more info, go to jacksdonuts.com. Uh, this from Jerry, who is a big Cardinals fan, BFIB. Schultz, not usually a fan of St. Louis fans? WTH, what station is JMV on? Oh, I love you, Jerry, though. I just don't normally like st louis fans i like you and josh arnold that's about it yeah i think you just got done saying that you're gonna root for the blues because of josh arnold right who else do i know that is a st louis fan i've got a buddy that's changed teams like 800 times and now he's like johnny cardinals fan he was a red sox fan he was a dodgers fan um and now he lives in st louis so he's like mr cardinals fan he goes to like 30 games a year i think they have a partial season ticket package and even though I find it annoying that he keeps switching teams, I kind of like him. So there's a third one. The Blues are kind of cool. I mean, they're – Yeah, cool logo. Yeah. Their cool colors. cool, for sure. I just – the one thing about the city of St. Louis that was odd to me, and I am – do not get me wrong, pot calling kettle black, I am certain that people that come to Indianapolis that are not from here probably feel the same way about Indianapolis. But the number of things in St. Louis that St. Louisans would tell me that St. Louis was known for. Oh, we're just everybody knows of this. And I would say, except for that, I've I'm from not from St. Louis and I've never heard of it. Well, but everybody's heard of it outside St. Louis. Yeah, but I'm the only one here that's never that has actually lived outside of St. Louis. And I'm telling you that you know what I mean. I think there is. There a were a t- lot of people there that had never left St. Louis, which was odd to me. Yeah, I, I think there is a uh, a tier of city. That's just below Mega City. You know, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, places like that are either too big or too transient to have people that deeply care about everything about that place. But Indianapolis is below that level, as is St. Louis. And I, I think maybe it's more of a Midwest thing, too, 
that people that are from that place think everything around that place is the greatest ever. I don't think that's unique to St. Louis. You know, we're kind of poking fun at St. Louis, but Jake, to be honest, Indiana people do that too. No, that's what I right? said. No, no question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not from here, but I've been here long enough to know that people in Indiana really buck against if you're negative about things that Indiana prides itself on. Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. Which I don't usually do because I'm mostly positive about I like the things that Indiana prides itself on for the most part, with a few exceptions. Uh, give me an exception. Well, New Haven, Connecticut has the best pizza on earth, and people get angry about that, but it's not really an opinion. It's a statement of fact. No, but give me something that, that Indiana that drives you nuts. That people love that I don't get? Yeah. Country music? Okay. <laughs> give me another? I don't, I don't get it. Um, something else that people love here that I've never really kind of taken to. Um, I don't know. I, I like St. Elmo. Um, I love the 500. I love back home again in Indiana. I don't love all the time about talking about the heartland and corn, you know, corn and all that stuff and pork tenderloins. Like I get that there are some endearing qualities about that, but I, I, tr I don't like that seems to be more of a negative perception from people that are from outside of here. Like when That's I fair. talk to people back home, oh, it's just cows and corn and pork tenderloins. And I'm like, well, no, it's there's a lot more than that that's here, even though there is a lot of that. Do you want to know one from uh, Derek? I am hesitant to say it. But you know one thing to me that, I'm, that I've, I get a fatigue about with Indiana? I think we've taken the Hoosiers thing too far. Hickory, yeah, yeah. the Hickory stuff. I, I don't great think that's movie, an loved it, but I mean, at this point, yeah, yeah. It's if I was not from here, I would find people in Indiana's fascination with a thirty-three-year-old movie really weird. I would probably make fun of it. But I think most people. What did you say? A majority of people are fatigued by the the Hickory jerseys and, the jerseys and all of the, that. Yeah, but I mean, just in general, the celebration of the movie like every six months. Yeah, you know people what I mean? get really defensive about yeah. that for sure. But you know, St. Louis has their stuff. Indy's got our stuff. Cleveland has got their stuff. I'm sure. Um, Cincinnati with their chili and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, some of that stuff is just like tomato water. But tomato, they, but water. they love it. You know, they'll okay. they'll throw you down a flight of stairs over it. Which chili do you like in in Cincinnati the best? I'm just not a chili person, so maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. Did you like that I mean, chili? I, I like the chili that I make myself in a crock pot better than a lot of okay, that other chili. Do you chili. put beans in chili? Yes. Absolutely. I love beans. I load it with beans. Do you require beans to be in chili? Is it only chili to oh, you? Oh, I think if... beans should be in chili. Uh, macaroni, to me, doesn't really belong in chili. So ch no noodles in chili. For yeah, you. I'm not a big noodles and chili guy. But did you, you like have that, to have beans. Did you like that Chili Willy uh, mascot or cartoon? I don't know what that is. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. How do you not know this? Chili water, kid? What is this? Chili Willy. Willie the pen when I shake until I'm <laughs> Why, my what are you? Are cold. You're, you're, 
It's a bird of some sort? It's a penguin. Chili, chili Willie the penguin. I don't know what this is, I'm Jake. Chili I'm sorry. Willie the penguin. How do you not know that? Is that like Hanna-Barbera or something? Or it what? might be. How do you not know Chili Willie? He's a cute little fella. I know Daffy Duck. A little hat. Where's his little hat? He's chilly all the time. Yeah. <laughs> then again, you didn't know the Roadrunner had his own theme song. I did not know that. Yeah, you're right. How did you, like, what did you watch when you were a kid? Uh, I watched He-Man, um, DuckTales. DuckTales. Sesame Street. Okay, yeah, okay. Zoobly Zoo. But you got afraid from Sesame Street, right? I love Sesame Street. No, I thought one time Bernie and Ernie or something scared Oh, you. yeah, statue touched Ernie, yeah. there was They were in Egypt, and a, and a sphinx <laughs> okay. t- tapped Ernie on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And um, I still can't be around mannequins. Sorry, we were supposed to talk NBA Finals in this segment, Jake, so can we not do this? <laughs> okay, sure. I had forgotten that Kawhi Leonard was a Finals MVP, right? Oh, yeah. The last Spurs title. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know why mm-hmm. I was thinking. So, you know, is it – he's been here before. Hard to believe that. I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, he was an MVP, but – Easy to forget that, I think a lot of people would say, because he wasn't the epicenter necessarily on that team, although he was the MVP, so that sounds crazy to say. But this is clearly his his deal. I think at that point, because of the advanced age of Parker and Ginobili and Duncan, he was the best player on that team. Yeah, that's fair. Even though you thought of Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker, because that was only, what, Kawhi's third year, maybe? Fourth year, something like that. Came into the league in eleven. Um, but he's an unbelievable player. He's a guy, you can make the argument that he's the best player in the league right now. But we were kind of having this conversation when Eric called in yesterday and picked the Raptors, and what gives me pause, Jake, is that while Kawhi's great, who's the second best player on that team? Siakam? Lowry? You know, okay. And those guys are good players, and Toronto's got a nice team. Boy, but, they play well together. They fit well together. You but know, if Kawhi if Kawhi goes six of twenty from the field and scores eighteen points, Toronto's going to get rolled. Whereas Steph Curry could go out there and shoot two of ten from three, and the Warriors could still win by fifteen. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it is Toronto. It just feels like a bleh matchup to me. Yes, yeah, like I'm only one kind of team that I care about's in there. The Raptors don't have a lot of sexiness, but at least it's fresh. I got so tired of the Cleveland. Golden State thing. Hard to argue that. Too. Yeah. I'm getting text messages. Chris Denary says, bro country is the best. Oh, that's that's the worst. At least like the, the outlaw country or the original country stuff was, you know, came from a really good place and required talent to do the bro country stuff to me. Oh, yeah, it's the summertime, and I'm with my girl. I'm drinking a beer on my truck. Oh, yeah, kegger with my buddies. That stuff, it's all its all the same crap. What do you mean? Throw, throw some good-looking dude up there in a cowboy hat and tight jeans, and he'll sell out every show at Ruoff. And it's just, it's, it's awful. Anybody could do it. The names and faces can change. Hmm. It's junk. Okay. I think you have to grow up with it, though. I grew up in, like, the one section of the country where – I didn't listen to country music. None of my friends listened to country music. It just wasn't a thing. We weren't in the country. And really, you had to drive out to get into the country. You know, country music, I believe, the number one radio format in the country. Oh, I believe it. That's what I've always I mean, I remember going to IU, and and one of the first nights that I was there 
we went to a house party and they're blaring country. It was come um, on. A- I, th- I I think she thinks my tractor's sexy, and I was like, <laughs> what is this? Like, is this a joke? Are you guys like really listening to this? They really were playing that. At oh a yeah, Ke- party? Kenny Chesney, I think. Yeah, that's a bit much. Yeah, yeah. Two three nine twelve sixty. But to each their own. Again, that's. Just my take on it. Jeff Rabjohns covers IU for Peaks. He's going to join us. We'll talk about Green, Smith, and Durham coming back. Romeo's draft stock. And some interesting comments that Archie Miller had about the scholarship situation and a departure from his predecessor. It's Corey and Schultz, Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. Aquarian Schultz, presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. It's the only four hours of the day that Quarry isn't at the gym. You're listening to Quarry and Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5, Indie Sports Station. Oh, man, here it is. Yeah, there you go. That's bro country, is that what you call it, Derek? Okay, here we go. I moved here from a thousand miles away. They're like, hey, you want to? My older sister's having a house party over off of Fee. You want to go over there? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll go now, who's you. this here? This is Kenny Chesney. She thinks my tractor is sexy. And we're walking up the hill, and I'm hearing this loud music, and I'm like, what is going on? I, for some reason, though, this just reminds me of summer. And I don't like this style of music at all, but it just. I mean, I can understand why people like it, I guess, if you grew up with it, but. Feels like you're grilling out in the backyard, and our next guest, by the way, is the master on the grill in the backyard, at least my sources tell me. He joins us on the Omnisource guest line during a busy period of analyzing who might be the next basketball players at the collegiate level. I'm talking about Jeff Rabjohns from Peaks.com. Jeff, how are you? I'm outstanding. How are you guys? Cannot complain. I Look, I want to I wanna get to this right away, Jeff. I, this epiphany came to me today where I thought to myself, we as humans sometimes just are never satisfied. For example, when Tom Crean was the head coach at Indiana and Indiana would be like a player or over, a player or two over their maximum scholarship number, and people would say, this is ridiculous. Why are they going out and signing more players than they have spots and people are going to get creamed, et cetera, et cetera. Now Archie Miller is there and they're two under and people go, this is ridiculous. How can you not have more players on the roster? Are we ever satisfied? Uh, I don't think so, no. Uh, no. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, if things, you know, if I was going to Final Four every year, are contending for it or at least winning tournament games every year and see tournament games, uh, you know, things become peripheral issues. But when a team is struggling uh, and playing below a historically acceptable level, if you will, then things get accentuated. Um, and people complained uh, quite a bit about Cream's oversigning. And, and I understood that because you're oversigning to the point you're going to have to push somebody out each summer. And there were people who basically felt that was unfair, and, and there's some legitimate points to that. And now Archie, it's not as if he was saying you have to only stay with 11, but there's a couple components. One, if you can add somebody who's going to have impact, you add them. Um, but if you can't, he's not going to add the Tim Frillers and Jeremiah Aprils of the world to the roster just to add bodies, just to be at 13. And part of that is um, you look at transfer rates, and recent NCAA research shows 
that nearly 40% of play, high school players who signed with a Division One program out of high school transfer from that program by the end of their sophomore year. And research shows a lot of times, if you just look at stats, that is the 12th or 13th man on the team. They don't see a path to playing time moving forward. They transfer. So part of the thinking, and, and Jay Wright thinks along these lines, um, you play eight or nine, 11 is enough. Um, there are a number of coaches who behind the scenes have advocated actually for reducing scholarships from 13 to 12 because they sometimes feel there's almost arbitrary pressure just to add a player just because, okay, you're supposed to have 13, so go get 13, even though you're 75% certain. Somebody's probably going to transfer in the next two years because the math shows that that's, that's a high percentage of the time what's going to occur. So Indiana right now, I mean, if they were able to add a Keon Brooks-level player or Lester Keonis-level player, yeah, they were going to add a player. See, that's the thing, Jeff, is is Indiana under right now, which which is the most accurate synopsis? A, Archie Miller said, we're not going to fill spots just to fill spots, and so let's let's preserve it, if you will, and take our time with it. B, this is indicative of Indiana swinging and missing on players and being left uh, kind of in the dust with no backup plan. Or C, you know, Archie Miller just said, hey, you know what, there were two or three guys who wanted this year. We got them, no problem. Uh, I think it's a combination of one and two. I mean, they had some misses. You know, they went after Keon Brooks. They missed. They went after Anthony Harris. He picked Carolina. They went after Lester Canonas. Uh, he picked Memphis. So they did have some misses. Um, but every program has misses. Um, it's funny though, like even, even Kansas fans kill Bill Self every year because his commitment rate on kids they get visits from is around 30%. Well, you know, if you get 10 really good players to come to campus and you get three of them, Hey, you got a good recruiting class, but people look at misses and that sometimes gets amplified and that's understandable. But I think sometimes schools who follow their favorite school very, very passionately on day-to-day basis sometimes don't look, don't widen the lens and look around and say, okay, how are we doing compared to others? Um, but, yeah, Indiana did have some misses. Um, so I think it's a combination of there were some misses and it's a, and it's a combination of they're not going to add players just to add players. Um, I mean, Villanova won a national title with 11 guys on scholarship. Uh, Purdue had 12 guys on scholarship, 12 recruited scholarship players last year, and they were a play from going to the Final Four. So it's not like you need 13. Um but I think part of it with IU fans is they look at uh, the lack of shooting from last year and they say, wouldn't another guard or two help? Yeah, probably so. But I think one of the things that gets a little lost is, uh, and I think this is with a lot of fan bases, especially in basketball, they'll look at a, an area where their team's deficient. We weren't good at forward last year. We signed a high school forward. We're going to be better at forward. That's, that's, that's the common thinking. Mm-hmm. If you kind of study some actual impact, freshman impact, Outside of top 15 guys, that's not really the way it goes. Um, you know, let, let's take a local example. Kyle Guy, McDonald's All-American from, from uh, Lawrence Central here in Indianapolis. He was the Final Four MVP for national championship team in 2019. As a freshman, he averaged 7.5 points per game. You know, that's it, 7.5 points per game. Devontae Green averaged 9.4 last year. Uh, Al Durham averaged 8.3 last year. Robert Finnessy averaged 6.8. So IU's impact for this coming season, 2019-20, is more dependent upon improvement of current players than what a freshman would have, would have given. Because uh, some of those players they recruited were, were in the you know, 60 to 80 range. Good players, they're going to be good players in college. They're going to be multi-year players. They would help down the road. 
But, you know, look at Kyle Guy. You can pick, there's, there's lots of examples. I'm just picking a local one that had a little name recognition. You know, I don't think it's reasonable that Lester Canones or, or uh, Anthony Harris or Harlan Beverly or any of those guys, I don't think it's reasonable to think they're going to score more as a freshman than Kyle Guy did. Um, so, yeah, would it have helped IU to add a player of that level moving forward? Absolutely. Um, and those are kind of program-level kind of guys. Um, but I think the impact for next year on IU is more dependent upon current guys improving and, and a little bit, you know, can Armand Franklin help some? I think Armand Franklin, uh, because he's 6'5", because he's got a legit jump shot with a high release, averaged almost 24 points per game at 4A Cathedral, uh, played the no, number 11th ranked schedule in the state per Sagarin ratings. That guy might, might be able to help a little more than, than, than people think, but that's also a guy who's going to be a really good four-year player. Rob Fennessey is going to be a really good four-year player. Those are the kind of guys you want to get and have impact as a junior senior. You know, look, look at some of the, the really good teams even that Matt Painter's had. but far more dependent upon juniors and seniors than on freshmen and sophomores. And that's where I think sometimes people get a little skewed thinking, oh, we need guard help. If we sign a guard, we're automatically better at guard. And the actual study of freshman impact shows that's not necessarily exactly how it goes. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great to have, to use your Purdue example, Rabbi, it's great to have Carson Edwards and Caleb Swanigan, but how big were Rafael Davis or Ryan Klein or, or people like that who kind of worked their way up the chart over the years? Or Dakota Mathias. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, Painter made a really good point during the season. He talked about, um, you know, there was a point in time, Indiana got Noah Vonley, a top 10 kid. Uh, obviously phenomenal talent, you know, was a, was a first-round draft pick after one year in college. But either that class or the class after, I, can't, I don't have a right in front of me, but Purdue got Dakota Mathias in that group. Well, that group won more games, won more NCAA tournament games, went to more NCAA tournaments for Purdue than Noah Vonley did. Doesn't well, mean Noah Vonley's bad, but it's about sometimes, sometimes in today's one-and-done era, players get judged on freshman impact. And it's like, oh, well, he wasn't any good as a freshman, so to hell with him, get rid of him, go get another one. Well, sometimes you got to let players develop, and patience is not something a lot of college sports fans have in abundance. But if you actually let players develop and you end up with, I mean, I think it's anybody can look at Rob Fennessey and go, that guy's a junior and senior is going to help IU win NCAA tournament games. Those are the kind of guys who, when they get older, you know, they're really, really helpful. Um, Dakota Mathias was a really good player. Rafael Davis, um, I mean, that's a guy who was not only a bad high school defender, he was disinterested in playing defense in high school, and he became Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Nobody would have predicted that or projected that. So, yeah, you, sometimes it's important to let players develop and see what kind of impact are, are they going to have over three or four years. And those guys often, I mean, look at the NCAA tournament this past year. You know, veteran players were, for the most part, the key players from the Elite Eight on, even from the Sweet 16 on, really. Um, I mean, Purdue doesn't do anything close to what it did if it doesn't have juniors and seniors. I mean, Ryan Klein hit some key shots. Carson Edwards went all Steph Curry on everybody. Now, those are older guys. And the two teams that are primarily freshman freshman dependent on an annual basis, Duke and Kentucky, didn't really have great tournament runs. Jeff Rabjohns is our guest. Peaks.com is the website. Jeff, when you look at, let's talk about this this Indiana team, obviously, you know, the big subject matter for it this past season was Romeo Langford. To your point, I think you make a really good point because – People expect that Romeo Langford, I guess, was going to come in and be, you know, a Carmelo Anthony freshman year. He had a fine freshman season. He averaged as many points as a freshman that, as Calvert Chaney did. 
who is the all-time conference leading scorer over the course of four years. Right. It, it, to me, it's very reminiscent of Eric Gordon's freshman year because you thought to yourself, like, man, something seems off on the outside shot. Then you find out there's the thumb problem. Where do you believe that Romeo Langford will be slotted in the NBA draft? What do you hear on that? And what areas of his game do you think he most needs to improve? I think right now probably 10 to 15 is the most likely range. Um, now, this is kind of, going to kind of become a funky draft potentially because there's a clear top three, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, John Morant. And after that, there's a bunch of players talking to NBA scouts that they have rated 8, 10, 12 in that range. Well, somebody's going to have to get picked fourth. Somebody's going to have to get picked fifth, sixth, seventh, and so on. So I think there's a possibility you see some funky trades and some guys maybe get drafted maybe a little higher than anticipated because of some, some movement in which teams have which slots. But I think if everything stays fairly the same, I think 10 to 15 is probably where Romeo goes. Um, and it's pretty interesting because talking to NBA scouts, and I got a ton of grief for this before the season started, they told me a lot of, a lot of teams had him rated 10, 12, 14, that range. And a few mock draft picks had him top five, and people were like, oh, Rabbi, he's going top five. And it was like, Nobody in the NBA is telling me top five. Not one single scout from one single team has even said top five. Only a couple even said top ten. Right. So, but I most of them said guys, back end lottery, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, yeah. And so I think that's the general range for him right now. Uh, the, the one of the big questions is obviously shooting. I mean, he was not a good high school shooter in in, in high school. Uh, he shot thirty six percent from three for his high school career. It's okay, but it's not great. Um, and that's against high school players. And then he has he has the uh, the, the, the ligament slash thumb issue. And then that was kind of a factor. So his shooting is going to be part of it. Um, I think the biggest thing with his shot is actually shot prep. Um, there were some NBA teams who uh, – or NBA scouts, guys who do a really good job of getting some film of high school and AU players, really getting the book going early, um, who really thought he was – in high school, he was far more dependent upon his superior athleticism than he was based on skill because he's 6'6". He's got a legit burst. He's got a 6'11 wingspan. So when he got inside on high school guys, he could go over you or around you. I mean, he had the ability to just reach past defenders and lay the ball in or, or, or bang with the shoulder and just go up over them. And some of those some of those shots, it was like nobody at the high school level can contest some of that stuff. But some of the guys really thought he was more athlete playing basketball than basketball player. Now, they think he has terrific potential. But some scouts were like, you know, this is the first year he really learned how to kind of play off the ball defense, the way he really started to understand shot prep with feet, hips, and that whole kind of thing. Um, and, and, again, NBA scouts are grading at the highest possible level. That's not to question, you know, high school and AU coaches. They just graded it on a completely different level. So they still see him as a very good long-term prospect. But they see the shot as a concern, the shot prep as a concern, Um and they see, you know, his ability to really understand how to create things uh, against, you know, some some higher level uh, length and, and, and height and quickness. Um, I think they, those are some concerns. Now, if, if his thumb heals and he can shoot for some teams and he shoots it really well here in June with some workouts, he has a chance to move up. Um, but those are the questions that NBA teams have right now. We spent a lot of time dissecting Romeo. I'm actually interested – Jeff, if you heard anything from Al Durham and Devontae Green and Justin Smith's evaluations from them, 
you know, I'm not even saying testing the waters because I don't think that's what they were doing. They were just going to get feedback and, and learn on some things to work on. But what did the NBA people have to say about those three guys? Yeah, you're right. I mean, this was about getting feedback. And I think sometimes people get a little confused. The NBA rule says you have to put your name in to get direct feedback. So if you want feedback, you have to put your name in, even if you have no intent of staying in the draft. And none of those three players were intending to stay in the draft. They they, they utilized the mechanism available to get feedback. Um, IU hasn't made them made players available yet, so I can't speak to specifically what they were told. Um, I heard some general parameters uh, as far as, you know, with Justin, you know, he, he's got to learn how to be able to shoot because you know, he's going to be a perimeter player or he has to become a perimeter player, obviously, to have a chance in the NBA. Um, with Devontae, they talked a lot about, my understanding is they talked a lot about uh, decision-making um, and things like that. Uh, and, and with Al Durham, my understanding is they, they talked a lot about, you know, overall, you know, guard ability. Um, and then they talked about um, some of his, you know, need to improve quickness, uh, short space quickness, uh, be able to really, you know, swivel those hips uh, to be able to defend some players. Um, so they, they got, I think the feedback is probably kind of expected, but I do look forward to talking to them and kind of getting some specifics and hearing what they thought also of the feedback. You know, I just, Jeff, I said yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago, there was a time where when a guy would put his name in the NBA draft, you know, I would I would mock it, right? Like, come on. You know, what, what is it? But then I get to thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? If it's a service that's provided for a player, even if his aspiration is to go play, and I think people lose sight of this, Jeff, you can make really good money playing in Spain or Croatia or Poland or Israel. I mean, you can make good money. And Absolutely. if that's your, you know, if if you simply want to know what the pro game expects of you, putting your name in that portal and just getting the feedback, it's no different than if you and I were in college and spent the summer between our sophomore and junior year interning at the Indianapolis Star or Channel 6 or whatever just to find out how the real world of our business works and what things we need to do to make sure that we're comfortable outside of the classroom setting of teaching it. It's kind of the same that's, thing, is it not? That's, that's on the money, dead on the money. And that's what I think um, this mechanism is utilized for my number of players because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for feedback and they're looking for an understanding of, okay, how do you evaluate me right now? And what do you think my chances are? And what do you want me to improve on? And I also think that a lot of people, uh, you made a really good point. I a lot of people don't understand how much money is available in pro basketball internationally these days. Um, China, uh, a couple years ago, when they started paying what they started paying, they kind of moved the needle, not only for players who go to China, but they kind of moved the needle because they were competing for players on some other teams uh, in, in Italy and Germany, even, even in Poland um, and, and some other places. Um, you know, I know some guys who have gone overseas, and it took them a couple years, but they got to the point they were making 120, 150 and had a chance to be in a pretty stable situation for a number of years. And the other thing that's really interesting is now some guys go over, and it, there's different parameters, but some of them get dual citizenship. And if you count as a domestic player, you can all of a sudden double your salary. I mean, there's, there's a couple of guys I know that are making 400000 plus playing overseas. The team also provides uh, housing for them and gives them a per diem every day during the season, not just on road trips. And some of these guys are basically like, look, man, I'm putting 10 grand a month in the bank. I'm going to come back to America whenever I'm done playing. I'm going to buy a house in cash, a couple cars in cash, 
and probably still have a couple hundred grand, you know, just to kind of like sit there and leave alone and then I'll go coach or whatever it is I'm going to do. But the idea that, oh, you know, back in the day, people would talk in terms of, oh, that kid didn't make the NBA. He got sent overseas. Well, nobody gets sent overseas. This isn't the military. You know, you, you know, you, you, you go if you want to go. But there is a lot more money, and there are more and more players who see these opportunities and know somebody who played overseas. And here's a story about, hey, so-and-so had a great experience in Germany. So-and-so had a great experience in Italy. You know, I, 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 you know, I mean, think about it. You're 22 years old, and you, you get to live, you know, in some really nice place in, 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 in Italy or France or whatever, and your expenses are basically paid for, and you're making somewhere around 10 grand a month. Who in the world would think that's a bad thing hey, at 21, 22 years Jeff, old? Jeff, I say this to a lot of people. We think here in the U.S., so in the United States, the, the top tier of professional basketball in the world is in the United States, the NBA. So if a right. guy is a great player at Kentucky or Indiana or North Carolina or whatever, and they go to the NBA, then you have other players that somebody say, somebody will say, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? And then the answer is, oh, I think he's he's playing overseas. Okay, fine. What we don't get is, if you take, for example, since we're coming off the Indy 500, take IndyCar, for example, in Brazil or in France or in, you know, overseas, New Zealand, Australia, the top tier of racing to the, to the fans is Formula One. So people sure. will, will think to themselves in Brazil, hey, whatever happened to that guy, Antoine Canaan, that used to run in Sao Paulo on go-karts? And they say... <laughs> Well, he's racing in the States. The States is for racing what playing overseas basketball is for college kids. My point being, Tony Kanon, Scott Dixon, you know, those guys make a fantastic living and are are well known among race fans in the United States. I don't think that they're poo-pooing the fact that they're playing over here and that's what those guys are in Europe, right? I mean that's that's it, Jordan Holes. That's a Holes, really good analogy. Yeah, that's Jordan really Holes is to his country. Where's Jordan Holes playing? Is he in Germany? Yeah, yeah, and he he was just the uh, player of the year. Right. So he's Tony Kanaan in Germany. Yeah, um, and he's he's doing really well now. There are different levels of pay, obviously, but you know, you make a really good point. I mean, like, okay, Tony Kanaan may make, and Scott Dixon may be more, maybe making more than say a Pippa Man. No or, question. You know, there, there, of there, course, there are levels. Just like there are levels of IndyCar drivers and levels of IndyCar sponsorships, there are levels of international leagues. But, you know, the leagues do pay a lot better than they did. And the top-tier leagues are paying much better than they did. And the chances to go overseas and make six figures is much higher than it was even 10 years ago. And that's why you see some guys go over there and stay. And another thing is, like, there are some guys who I've gotten to know who have gotten NBA training camp invites, and they pass. And I'm like, why did you pass? And they're like, look, we're 8, 10, 12, 15 games into our season. I would have to void my contract, give up 150 grand, go to training camp for a chance to get a jersey. And if I don't get a jersey, I can't go back because I voided my contract. Why in the heck would I give up, you know, 150 grand a year? So it's, it's you know, it, obviously the NBA is the top level and always has been and always will be. But to your point, yeah, going overseas, going internationally, it's not this scary thing anymore to players or to a lot of players. Now, some may choose decide that's not the path they want to take, but you see more kids who look at it, and in part because they know more people over there, um, and there's just more information about it. Social media has allowed people to kind of connect a little more, 
And they're like, hey, so-and-so Jordan's having a great time, you know, going to Germany or, 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 or Belgium or what have you isn't a bad deal. You know, I mean, there's a couple of kids who've played in places like Poland and places you wouldn't think about being meaningful, and they're making six figures, you know. And, and hey, you're 21 years old, get to live in a nice place, get to travel around Europe. Oh, see, yeah, see cool places, days. right? I'm like, you know. Well, I hey, mean, what, Jeff, what's wrong with that? Um, lastly, Jeff, Jeff Rabjohn's our guest from Peaks.com. Uh, kind of in summary to all of it for Indiana, I'm curious of this because for those that don't know Jeff Rabjohns, you, you know you're you're talking to recruits, you are out, you're covering AAU basketball, you're on the circuits, you're in high schools. For the upper elite players, the players that would be in the old days the Nike camp or five star camp or in the top AAU tournaments, what is the mm-hmm. national cachet or prestige to today's top 25 high school basketball 17 year old of Indiana University basketball? Um, I think it's still a pretty high view because a lot of people look at what I would call the historical IU. You know, there's still five banners hanging there. Um, it's still a place that draws 17,000 plus for most home games. Um, and, and even some big Northeast programs or very successful programs, they play in smaller venues. I mean, a, a number of Villanova's uh, home games are played in, in, in their smaller on-campus arena. The only seats like 8,000. And Villanova's obviously been a phenomenal program uh, the last six, eight years with a couple of national titles. Um, and people look at the passion that follows IU, and they still feel like it, it's, you know, it's a pretty big deal. Romeo Langford going there helped. Um, there are a number of kids that I've talked to. And, like, you know, you ask kind of like the, the staple questions, you know, what stands out to you about IU? They've talked to you or offered you scholarship, what have you. And one of the first three things is, oh, Romeo Langford went there, and he's going to the NBA. You know, so, I mean, Romeo has helped. Um, Romeo helped IU get Trace Jackson Davis. Um, Trace Jackson Davis thought Romeo Langford in high school was not only a phenomenal player, but carried himself incredibly well, grace and humility. And he thought, oh, okay, you know, I mean, IU might have gotten Trace anyway, but Romeo going there really kicked up their percentages from 60 to like 98. I mean, once Romeo went there, it's kind of like, okay, Trace is going to go to IU at some point because. He really respects Romeo, and they talk. Um, you know, and, and it's still a place where, uh, you know, in-state especially with, with big-name players. I mean, the state's produced two McDonald's All-Americans in the last two years. Romeo Langford and Trace Jackson Davis both went to IU at, at a time when IU is coming off of non-NCAA tournament seasons. So the, the, there's still a pretty good cachet. Now, it doesn't have the national cachet that maybe – uh, it did once upon a time nationally um, because they're going to have to start, you know, winning and get into the NCAA tournament uh, to get that back. Um, and then also having Romeo, you know, get drafted, that's going to help. Um, so there's still a pretty solid view, but it's not quite what it once was, you know, 15 years or so ago. At Jeff Rabjohns on Twitter, pigs.com for the latest and greatest. Thanks so much, Rabby. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thank you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. That's Jeff Rabjohns. Uh, good stuff there on Romeo's draft stock and um, Durham and Green and Smith coming back next year. I don't think a make or break year for Archie necessarily unless things really went south, but certainly a, hey, let's see something here. I don't know that it's a make year, but it could be a break year. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they just, have a really good year, people are going to want to see more of that. If they have a really bad year, people are going to be convinced that's the norm. Yeah, but clearly you would take the former at this point. I mean, they, they haven't been in the tournament in three years, for God's sake. Got to do something.
making the NCAA tournament is not difficult. There are a lot of mediocre teams that make the NCAAs, and Indiana hasn't even been good enough to do that the last three seasons. You seem very frustrated. You're, you're I, very I think there today. is a lot of frustration around IU basketball. There you don't be. know who chi- – you need a little more chilly willy in your life. I don't even know who that is. He's a penguin. Come back, talk NBA Finals. Also, uh, Disney in some hot water over a dive-bombing bird attack. Very dangerous. <laughs> very, very dangerous. Uh, we'll have that story for you as well. It's Corian Schultz. Presented by the Good Feet Store, with locations in Fishers, Avon, and Greenwood. They're celebrities, but only in their own minds. You're listening to Query and Schultz on Fox Sports 97.5 and 1260 AM. Thanks again to Jeff Rabjohns for his time. Disturbing story out of Disney, where I just was Disturbing. not too long ago, a couple of months ago. A woman visiting Disney World says she suffered brain injuries when she was dive bomb attacked by a bird in 2017. This according to the Orlando Sentinel. According to the lawsuit, Lisa Dixon of Celebration. Wait, so she lives in the town where Disney is? Isn't Disney in? Or is it Lake Buena Vista? I thought it was Celebration, Florida. I thought Disney's in Orlando. Well, yeah, but they call it like their own thing. She was injured when the bird struck her head in May of 2017 while she walked on a dock. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Don't be walking on docks. Uh, not exposed anyway. Maybe an, an umbrella or, you know, shelter of some port, sort you could do that. At the Polynesian Village Resort. The lawsuit, which seeks unspecified damages in excess of $15,000, accuses Disney of failing to keep the dock safe and properly warning visitors of the dangers. I was actually just at the Polynesian. We didn't stay there. We stayed at the Contemporary, but we went over to the Polynesian for breakfast because they have Tonga toast. Tonga and toast. I walked that? out on the dock and what I is, noticed there were no toast? there were no signs. It's French toast, but it's Polynesian. Okay. The bird was described only as a seasonal migrating bird, so I don't want to speculate, but could be some sort of an aggressive seagull, uh, perhaps even some type of stork, which looks skinny, but their beaks are razor sharp. I don't think it was a pelican because pelicans would be native to that area. They Did you be like that Woody migrating. Woodpecker when you were a kid? No. Voice is very annoying. <laughs> he was fun. Walter Lance came up with him. Mm. He also did uh, Chili Willie. Yeah, I've never heard of Chili Willie, whereas I have heard of Woody Woodpecker. How have you not heard of I Chili I don't know Willie? what Chili Willie is. I watched cartoons as a kid, too, and I still don't know what Chili Willie is. I. It was fun. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Okay. He's a, a buddy of Woody Woodpeckers. Different areas, though. I know Bugs Bunny. Yeah, okay. Daffy Duck. Those were very political, by the way. Chili Willy was political? Yes. No, uh, Bugs Bunny was. What do you mean? That Bugs Bunny, uh, a lot. Of, if you watch his... He was a lib? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he was, yeah. <laughs> Very. No, it was politically incorrect. By the way, uh, did you ever watch The Bachelor, Derek? 
I did, yeah, for a long time. Which bachelor did Ari Jr. or which bachelorette did Ari Jr. pick? That was around when I stopped watching. Apparently, uh, Ari Leyendike sending out a tweet that Ari Jr. is now a father. Um, Lauren Burnham gave birth. Okay, good for Ari. He's a good-looking guy. Alessi Ren Leyendike. Ari Jr. lost on The Bachelorette to a guy who was named Jeff with one F. And it drove me crazy. That's right. That his name was Jeff with one F. There was just something very, very annoying about that for some reason. I've never actually met Ari Jr. You said he's a nice guy, though, right? Oh, yeah, he is a nice guy. Definitely a nice guy. Tell your story about you were in the hotel at one of the IndyCar races. We, uh, We were in Edmonton. We're in Edmonton, and Ari Leyendike says, hey, can you give me a lift back to the hotel? And I said, sure. It was uh, myself, Mark James, I think Nick Yeoman might have been with us, and Leyendike. And Leyendike is telling us a really good story about his dad, and da-da-da-da, and, I mean, really cool guy. Leyendike works for the series, of course, so that's Mm -hmm. why he was with us. So we get to the hotel, and we go walking in the hotel, and there was a a wedding reception in the hotel lobby. And there were a bunch of people for the wedding, including one very attractive gal who goes crazy when she sees Ari Leyendike. Oh, my gosh. It's, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She's, like, jumping up and down. And she asks for a picture with him. And she was an attractive, I mean, attractive woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll take a picture of the two of you. So I get the phone, and she turns around with them. And, and as I'm taking the picture, Johnny Rutherford, who also works for the league, comes walking in. So I take the picture, and she's like, oh, my goodness, and she's, like, fluttering. And I said, well, look, while you're here, since you got his picture, you got a two-time winner, Here's here comes three-time winner Johnny Rutherford. You're going to get buy one, get one here. She says, what are you talking about? I said, it's Johnny Rutherford, three-time Indy 500 winner. And, of course, it, she looks at me and goes, I-, I have no idea what he does. I just know that he's Ari Jr.'s dad, and I saw him on the home visit of The Bachelor last week. Oh, my God. True story. Edmonton, wow. Alberta. Yep. Sure, Ari didn't mind. Ari was just like, yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah. 239-1260. Uh, we're a couple behind, so we're going to catch up. Come back 6 o'clock hour. You need a sneak peek and more. Next, it's Corey and Schultz.